All right, it's Super Bowl Sunday. Tom Brady officially announced his retirement the first of this month. I think there are some people who are just rejoicing that there will be a Super Bowl without Tom Brady in it. Nathaniel Bailey, right? Many know him as the goat. Have you heard that and wondered about that? Why, why call somebody a goat? Well, goat is an acrostic for greatest of all time. That's what they call anybody who's become the best in their field, the greatest of all time. You know, one of the most vocal people about that ever was Muhammad Ali. That was one of his favorite lines about himself, the greatest of all time. Well, that famous boxer didn't invent that phrase, but it did become famous because he said it so often. He could box better than most, but he could mouth off better than everybody. He was good at it. And there is a story uh, from his life, it's hard to verify, but it is often repeated, that he was once uh, going to fly on a flight to a boxing match that he was to fight in, and just before takeoff, the flight attendant was telling him to please put on his seatbelt. He refused. He said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And the flight attendant looked at him and said, Superman don't need no airplane either. Put your seatbelt on. When Ricky Henderson of the Oakland A's broke Lou Brock's career record for stolen bases, I believe it was in 1991, the game was stopped because it was a pretty significant thing. A microphone was brought to third base where he had accomplished this, and he gave a short speech. Henderson was a fan, here's the connection, a fan of Muhammad Ali, all right? And he ended his short speech by saying this, Lou Brock was the symbol of great base stealing, but today I'm the greatest of all time. Thank you. He talked about regretting that later. He said it really took away from the moment. And at the end of his 2009 induction into the Baseball Hall of Fame, he mentioned that earlier speech, and he said this. In closing, I would like to say my favorite hero was Muhammad Ali. He said at one time, quote, I am the greatest, end of quote. That is something I always wanted to be, and now that the association has voted me into the Baseball Hall of Fame, my journey as a player is complete. I am now in the class of the greatest players of all time, and at this moment, I am very, very humble. Thank you. Maybe Henderson got it right after all those years. I want to talk about and consider what it means to be great today. There have been people throughout history who have had that tacked onto their names. Cyrus the Great, Alexander the Great, Herod the Great, Alfred the Great, Wilhelm the Great, the Great Gonzo. There's actually a pretty long list of those great people. Some were called great because they grasped after and secured powerful positions. Some were called great because they brought about peace in their world. 
Some were just called great because of their lifetime accomplishments. And something occurred to me while I was trying to prepare this message. Why should anybody care about being great? Some of you came in here this morning not worried about that at all. In fact, there are a lot of people who have tried hard to make a name for themselves. They've stepped all over others to get there. And if we are followers of Jesus, should we really even concern ourselves with becoming great? I'm glad you asked that. I want to point out here at the beginning a couple of reasons. I need to make a case why I think you and I should care about being great people. First of all, here's one reason, because God is great, and you have been created in his image. Amen? This God, who is great in mercy and compassion and whose love for us is great, has commissioned the human race to be fruitful and multiply, to rule over the earth as its stewards, to manage the resources that he has placed into our hands. We're supposed to do that well. He has also given us the commission to make disciples of all nations. We call that the great Commission. Because our king wants his great banquet hall full. We are partners with God in the greatest of works. Shouldn't we do a great job at that? That's a point where you go, amen. God has called us to be great at some things. Great at forgiving others. Great at loving our neighbors. Great at speaking the truth. Great at building each other up. Maybe you're not a great athlete or a great artist or a great speaker or cook or writer. Maybe you're not even great at Wheel of Fortune. Still, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you and he has given to you at least one, some spiritual gift. The Holy Spirit enabling you to do something. There is something that you can do that is great. Amen? Here's another reason that we should care about being great. It's because the idea of true greatness has mostly been lost. This walk of faith, this life that we live in Jesus includes becoming great people. Only that's different than the world's idea of great. And if we can get a grip on what true greatness is, then we'll have good reason to make it something that you and I together pursue. We'll pursue that as a church family. Hopefully we'll pursue that as individuals. But not everybody can seem to put a finger on what it is that makes a person what we call great. However, we are privileged to have it spelled out for us in the scriptures. God's word paints for us a pretty good picture of greatness, of what it's supposed to look like, the kind of greatness that we all should want. Here it is in three quick points, all right? It looks like this, a sacrificing selflessness pure motives, and right attitude for authority. 
That's the Cliff Notes version of what I'd like us to look at this morning. It shows up in the scriptures more than once. One characteristic of greatness is selflessness that gives up on behalf of others. Paul said in Philippians 2, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. 1 Thessalonians 2.9, he says, Remember, brothers, you remember our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Sacrificing selflessness. Pure motives, that's the second one. God's interested in your motives, by the way, not just your actions. Jeremiah 17.10, the Lord says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Proverbs 16.2 says the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. James says to those he's writing to, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. The, the point is, God cares about our motives. What's behind all of that? And that third thing, a right attitude for authority there's a story in the New Testament when one day a centurion, a man of great authority in the Roman army, approached Jesus to ask him to heal a sick boy back at home. Jesus said, I will go and heal him. Matthew 8.8, 8, listen to what he said in response to that. Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. And you know, the next verse that follows that is one of only two places in the New Testament that tell us that Jesus was surprised by something. Jesus marveled at this man's faith, amazed at his faith and his right attitude about authority. People who have authority and misuse it are flawed. Anyone who reaches after authority so they can misuse it becomes obvious, doesn't it? But having a right attitude toward authority also means that someone understands that through life we have to be under someone's authority. And that is a quality of a person who is truly great. There's an extreme that we could go to here, and I think we need to be careful. Some of us tend to shun the idea of being a great person. After all, who wants to be around someone who's stuck up? And doesn't the Bible teach us to be humble? Yes, it does. But greatness, as God defines it, is a legitimate goal that Jesus clarified in Matthew chapter 20, verse 25. Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I don't think any of us would argue that Jesus was not great. See, Jesus didn't say you shouldn't be great people. Instead, he defined what real greatness looks like. 
Matthew 18, verse 1. That time the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. See, if greatness is your goal, that's a worthy goal. When you define greatness as God defines it, and when you seek it, the way that God says to seek it. This morning, we're in Genesis chapter 14. And by the way, if you're joining us online, hello. We're glad that you're here. Say hello, everybody. Hi, everybody online. We're all here together. We're going to open up to Genesis chapter 14. We are continuing this series on the life of Abraham called Where Will You Go? Yeah, I'm done introducing it now. And that is a question that we're going to keep applying to Abraham, the man of great faith, and we're going to keep applying it to ourselves. Where will you go? Where will your walk of faith in Jesus Christ take you? Chapter 14 of Genesis, we're going to look how Abraham pursued greatness. And you might say of him that Abraham was the greatest character of the whole Old Testament. That's Possibly a, a fair thing to say, but the way that he reached that status wasn't the number of people that he stepped on or the number of people that he manipulated to get there. So I want us now to look at Genesis 14 and see how this chapter in Abraham's story can help us see greatness as God defines greatness. And you're going to see it. It is a sacrificing selflessness, it is pure motives, and it is a right attitude towards authority. Let's look at that. First of all, sacrificing selflessness. We watched in chapter 13 as Abraham, last week, gave up the better land of the Jordan Valley to his nephew, Lot. It ended a dispute that was going on. And so Abraham already demonstrated to us that he can be selfless because of his faith in God. He trusted God to provide for him, even if it looked by by human standards, like he just got taken to the cleaners. Crisis averted, character showed through, and now his nephew, Lot, has settled near the city of Sodom. What could go wrong? Lot should have known better. Maybe Abraham was kind of wishing Lot had not come along on this big trip in the first place by this time. So there are four kings... Amraphel, Arioch, Ketolamar, Tidal, who made war with Bera, Bersha, Shinab, Shemeber, and the king of Bela. You probably don't have to remember those names. But it would be good to remember this, that they warred against each other. And when five kings allied themselves against four kings, those five kings fell in battle. Genesis chapter 14, verse 10. Now the valley of Sidim was full of bitumen pits. <laughs> it was construction season on the highway there. And as the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some fell into them, and the rest fled to the hill country. So the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, 
who was dwelling in Sodom and his possessions and went their way. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew, who was living by the oaks of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eshcol and of Aner. These were allies of Abram. When Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men born in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. And he divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them, and pursued them to Hobah, north of Damascus. Then he brought back all the possessions, and also brought back his kinsman Lot with his possessions, and the women and the people. I've never seen a movie made about this, but it's an interesting story. Abraham's response was immediate, potentially very costly. This was not a young guy at this point in his life. He left behind his family members, his possessions, except for 319 men who were going to save his nephew, going on a rescue mission against the armies of four kings who had just fallen or who had just conquered the armies of five different kings. But Abraham used good tactics under the cover of dark they surprised them, they sent them running, and they routed them so badly that he managed to get back all of the people, all of the goods that had been captured and hauled off. That's the short version of this story. It wasn't just, in other words, it wasn't just some half-hearted attempt for appearances that Abraham would show up and say, oh, well, we tried. This was Abraham risking everything in earnest. I want to say to you that Abraham was a great man partly because of his self-sacrificing attitude. If you're interested in being a great person, let me suggest that you reach for the kind of selfless sacrifice that Abraham had. That may mean standing up for people who have been wronged, taking the uncomfortable effort and the risk to help somebody who has fallen into sin looking after people who are weaker, like the Lord instructs us to do. It's definitely risky. But there are a lot of people like Lot who simply have fallen into bad company or bad practices and they need to be helped back out. You know who they are. Do the great thing. If you're interested in being great as God defines greatness, you'll be interested in sacrificing selflessly. Do you want to be a great person? Sacrifice selflessly. Here's that second characteristic. It's pure motives. Very few events will reveal our true motives like success. Let me ask you this morning. When the work gets done, what makes you smile? What gives you fulfillment? What's been behind the effort once the dust was settled and the people and the stuff are all on their way back home, it's then that Abraham's good motives really shine. This foreigner nomad is now a respected military strategist. Abraham is placed in a situation that is very quickly going to show the purity of the motives that were behind him doing all of this. Look at chapter 14, verse 17. After his return from the defeat of Ketolamar, 
and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Sheva, that is, the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed him, that's Abraham, he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Even though now he is looked upon as some kind of a hero, Abraham's response is simple and humble. He took a tenth of the spoils to God. He gave them through this priest king, Melchizedek. And he recognized God's right to glory and wealth. He saw that God was to be credited with the victory. God was to be credited with the safe return of his nephew Lot. But it wasn't just Melchizedek who came out to rub elbows with the new hero of Canaan. Look at verse 21. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons to take the goods for yourself. That's Berah, the king of Sodom. Remember his name? You didn't have to. Berah, the king of Sodom, no longer has any claim on those goods. You see, the person who went out and fought for them and won them back is now the rightful owner. That's kind of the law of the day. And it's the rule of the land, even to this king of a very wicked city, he recognizes it, and he is ready now to lose it all to Abraham. You can almost hear it in his voice. Go ahead. Take the goods for yourself. Verse 22, though, Abram's motives become clear. Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. Abraham is saying, I didn't do this as some kind of get-rich scheme. I'm not going to become a great nation by military takeovers. No, that is in God's hands. My motive was to rescue my nephew Lot, and I'll prove it. I'm not going to take a thread. I'm not going to take a shoestring from you guys. You want to be truly great? Check your motives. What drives you? What motivates you, if anything? What promises have you made to God and kept? What are you willing to give up to keep your word? Real greatness is concerned with God being the one who gets the credit. That's where Abraham was that day. Abraham was great because he had pure motives behind what he did. You want to be a great person? Check your motives. Here's this third characteristic, real quickly, that is to have a right attitude about authority. We looked at how Jesus was impressed, in fact, surprised by the centurion who recognized what it means to live under authority. Greatness in the eyes of God requires that, it seems. People who are able to submit to authority are people who recognize how important this whole concept of authority is. And by the way, that's something that's fading away in our culture. 
It's not being pathetic. That's being great to recognize it. But even more, true greatness is shown when people who have authority use it in the right way. Abraham was the very first of the patriarchs of Israel. Have you heard that name, the patriarchs? It's a name that simply means father ruler. He was in a position of authority. He had rightfully earned power by freeing the people of Sodom, but rather than forcing his leadership over them, or like Jesus described it, lording it over them, Rather than forcing his way to the top and gaining all of that control, look at verse 24. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Let Aner, Eshkel, and Mamre take their share. Being truly great means not only understanding how to function under someone's authority, it also means knowing how to properly use authority. Parents, by the way, when it comes to deciding to follow Jesus, are you listening? It's a question of authority. Why should I do what he says? Why should I give Jesus charge of my life? Here's the simple answer. He's the one who has the authority to ask that of you. If somebody tells us to do something that we really don't want to do, the common reaction is to ask what? Why? Who says? Who's in charge here? Do I have to do it or not? Is there any way around this authority? Is there some higher authority that I could appeal to so that I don't have to do this? Jesus said this, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Sounds kind of comprehensive, doesn't it? That answers those questions. Some of you this morning need to wrestle with the question if, if you're going to acknowledge and follow the authority of Jesus Christ in your life. I remember in high school, when I was still at an age where I was trying to sort out my life. By the way, I still wonder what I'm going to be when I grow up if I grow up. I remember I wanted to be somebody. I remember thinking that. I want to be somebody. What would it take? I wanted to achieve notoriety. I wanted to be popular. I, I didn't, at the same time, I didn't want to compromise my values in that process, but it did really boil down to this question I was wrestling with as a, as a budding young man. How can I achieve greatness? And you know, since then, I have learned a deeper appreciation for what real greatness is. James R. Saizu said, Let it never be forgotten that glamour is not greatness. Applause is not fame. Prominence is not eminence. The man of the hour is not apt to be the man of the ages. A stone may sparkle, but that does not make it a diamond. People may have money, but that does not make them a success. It is what the unimportant people do that really counts and determines the course of history. The greatest forces in the universe are never spectacular. Summer showers are more effective than hurricanes, but they get no publicity. 
The world would soon die, but for the fidelity, loyalty, and consecration of those whose names are unhonored and unsung. Some years back, I read the story of a man who was visiting a missionary hospital somewhere in Asia, poor area, and he, going through that hospital, came upon a nurse who was working with a patient, changing a bandage on that patient's foot. That foot had become horribly infected with gangrene. And it was swollen, it was dark, it was ugly. There was a horrible stench in the air as he walked by there in that humidity. And he looked at that nurse working on that person's foot and he said, you know, I wouldn't do that for a million dollars. She looked at him and she said, neither would I. I don't think the world will ever catch on. I don't think they'll ever stoop to true greatness, being selfless and giving up your rights and things that you could have had, giving God credit, giving him praise for him instead of yourself. That's real greatness. And that's part of the greatness of Jesus. Think about that. Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be held on to, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant and being made in the likeness of men. Nobody would argue that Jesus wasn't great. I want to be that kind of great. How about you? This morning, it is a question of whether or not you will submit yourself to the authority of Jesus Christ. It is a question of whether or not you'll be like that centurion who acknowledged before Jesus that that's what should happen in life. And maybe today you're wrestling around with that. Let me tell you, that's a question that you need to settle. Is Jesus going to be authority in your life or not? And when you get that question worked out, you're on your way to settling whether you're going to be a truly great person or not. You want to be great in God's eyes. Make that decision this morning. Let Jesus be Lord as he deserves to be. If you're ready to make that choice, we're ready to help you begin that relationship with Jesus. We're all about helping people into a relationship with Jesus Christ and then helping them to grow up in him. And so today, if you're ready to begin a relationship with him, we want to help you make that choice. Whether you're online or you're here in person, if you're here in person and have questions about that or are ready to make that decision, then down here at the front, as I step down here this morning, anytime starting right now is a great time to sit and talk about that. And we're ready for you today to accept Jesus Christ, to be baptized into him, to have his spirit come live inside of you and begin a new life in him. If you're online and want to make a decision like that, you need to get in touch. You need to let us be in touch with you. And so cccrockford.org slash connect or right now in the comments as you're online watching, type it in, hey, I'm interested in this, please get in touch with me. We want to help you begin that most important step of your life today. Let's stand up together and pray as we decide together what we will do with Jesus's authority in our lives. Father, we stand before you, not our own. We have been bought
with a price. Our Lord said of himself, all authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. And Father, we stand to acknowledge that before you today. Lord, let it be true, not just in our words, but in each of our lives, that Jesus truly is Lord, that his authority is what we are seeking to follow. And Lord, in that way, let us become great people by your definition of greatness. Thank you for Abraham's example. Father, as we think of his story, help that please to be ingrained into our lives so that in different ways this week, we can live it out for the sake of those who are around us and see it in us. Right now, help us to make these good decisions for you. It's our prayer in Jesus' name.